Okay, so we're starting a new series today, a new sermon series. It'll be about four weeks long. It's a series that we uh, entitled Overflow. Okay. Um, uh, you know, like 99.9% of the population in the world, I get haircuts. Okay? I get my haircut. And it... Um, and sometimes when you sit down to get your haircut, uh, at least when I sit, sit down to get your haircut, I'm always a little bit like, if I don't know the person that's cutting my hair, it's always a little bit like, okay, what are we going to talk about? And what are we going to bring up? Uh, because there are sometimes, there, there, are, there are like prototypical taboo topics to talk about, Right? Religion, um, uh, maybe politics, right? And here's the thing. Um, when someone, when I sit down and someone asks me or they, we create small talk, it almost inevitably goes towards what do you do for a living, right? And if religion is an off-topic or a taboo uh, topic of conversation for that type of environment, then it puts me in a little bit of a, uh, of a pickle. Like, I, I, you probably understand that I'm not, not really a, real afraid to talk about that, at least in the barber chair, but I think we all have these environments or these places and these topics that we feel are like, eh, this is like a little, I feel a little bit uncomfortable bringing up this thing, this specific topic in this specific area, right? Or in this specific environment. Um, because things like those taboo topics that we typically talk about, like politics or religion, they seem, those big things, they seem too big. They seem too complicated. They seem too... Um, like there's so much nuance within each of them and they, and they bring out of, each, of, of people so much emotion and so much, um, so much difficult baggage um, and reactions that it's like, well, I'd rather just talk about the weather or I'd rather just talk about something, um, you know, much less, much less significant. Uh, there's just, in some places, some things that we agree not to talk about. We just agree not to talk about. Um, sometimes I wonder that about uh, the church as well. I wonder if there are some things that in some ways we just kind of agree not to talk about because they evoke a lot of emotion they are full of they're full of nuance they're full of difficult memories of times that they've been brought up in the past or they strike at the heart or the center of who we are as people and so it becomes difficult to sit and to listen and to hear and to maybe feel um, the conviction of the Holy Spirit in these areas. The question then becomes is that are there things that are off limits here to talk about? Some would say yes, 
there are things that should be off limits here, right? Some would say, no, there are, there, this should be a place where we talk about um, everything. If we can't talk about everything here, where can we talk about it at, right? Uh, and I'm not, I'm not here, honestly, I'm not here really to debate the merits of either position of whether the church is a place where we um, should have permission to talk about everything or whether there are actual things that should be off limits here. But what I will say, what I will say is that however uncomfortable it may make us, and I will, let me just be clear about something. If you're uncomfortable hearing something, you can guarantee that the preacher is more uncomfortable saying something. Okay? But I, what I will say is that however uncomfortable it may, it may make us feel, the commitment of my life and my calling is to as clearly as possible communicate the content and truth of God's Word, no matter how uncomfortable it makes us feel. No matter what. Uh, my belief is that nothing that the Bible talks about should be a taboo, off-limit topic for us. So if the Scripture deals with the topic, if Jesus talks about the topic, if the topic is rooted in Christian history, then however taboo it may make us feel to talk about it in 21st century modern America, it makes no difference if it's taboo there if it's normal here. Right? So my commitment will be to even speak on, preach on, um, hopefully unfold the and proclaim even the most uncomfortable of topics for us. There may be off-limit types of things in a barber chair, but if God saw fit to inspire its recording in His Word, we will not ignore it. And if we do ignore it, it will be to our peril. It will be to our absolute peril if we see it clearly in the Word and choose to ignore it in, our, in, the, in the ways in which that we respond to the Gospel and respond to the life of um, discipleship to Jesus. Uh, in fact, what, what I've learned even about my own life, and I, I'm guessing that this is true in yours, uh, what I've learned is that the things and the topics that we don't want to talk about and that make us a little bit uncomfortable, it's those topics that we should pay particular attention to. Because God may be working through His Holy Spirit to to kind of sweep out and root out the corners of our hearts that remain or have remained unsurrendered to Him as we have said even to the Lord, Lord, that topic is a little, that, that's a little like, stay in your lane, God. So who wants to know what we're talking about this week, the next four weeks? We can, we should, we can play another game where you guess the topic. <laughs> There's lots of them, okay? Are you ready? For the next four weeks, we're going we're gonna to be talking about money. 
and possessions. Okay? Possessions is a general category. Money, maybe a little bit more specifically. Uh, we're going to talk about our, uh, we're going to talk about our trust, the things that we trust in, and the things that we depend upon. Do we trust in one of the, one of the analogies that we're going to use today? Do we trust in manna that comes from heaven, from God? Or do we trust in um, what Jesus calls mammon, which is abundance of provision without any dependence on him? Uh, we're going to talk about uh, sacrificial generosity. We're going to talk about tithing. We're going to talk about investing financially in the kingdom of heaven and what that means and what it, what it, what it means when you, uh, when you give to a church or you give to a ministry financially. We're going to talk about how our giving today, how our giving tomorrow, and how our giving the next year becomes the building blocks for others to come and grow in their relationship with Jesus. We're going to talk a lot, a lot about this reality. Uh, God does not need your money. He does not need it. God is in need of nothing. Right? God does not need your money. God does not even want your money. God wants your heart. God, God wants your heart. And he's asking you a question through his Holy Spirit about how connected your heart is to the money that's in your wallet, both in poverty and in wealth. It's a question um, that I was kind of, I've a little, a little bit been thinking through in the last few weeks as I've been preparing for this series is why does talking about money feel so uncomfortable for us? This is a really a fascinating question because if we go back to the reality or we go back to the, um, to the idea that the things that make us the most uncomfortable may be the particular things that we need to pay the most attention to in our walk with the Lord. Uh, why does making money feel so uncomfortable? I think that the number one, the number one reason that, um, that at least I see or that people give me when it comes to like this idea of talking about money in the church, in our Christian faith, is because we don't, we don't always immediately see conversations about money as spiritual or having anything to do with our faith at all. The reality is, is that you come into this building and like, however you, however you show up here and whatever, whatever, um, you know, where, wherever you feel like you are in your, your walk with or your relationship with Jesus, um, we each come with a different sense of trust, um, growth, maturity, or faith in the things of scripture, as well as um, the, the proclamation that the, whoever is preaching that day of the Scripture gives. And some of you um, have shown 
extraordinary. Like, I will tell you that one of the things that humbles me the, and, and scares me the most about being a pastor is the incredible, incredible amount of trust that people place into me. This is the trust to speak into their eternal destiny, trajectory, and relationship with Jesus. This is the amount of trust that it takes to like um, counsel people through marriage difficulties or to perform baptisms or to, uh, to perform funerals for their loved ones or to do premarital counseling and preside to be in their wedding pictures for the rest of their lives, right? <laughs> the incredible, incredible amount of trust that you all that you all kind of like push across the table in my direction, in the churches, the, the leadership of the church in their direction. We trust the church on so much, on our eternal destiny. You trust your, you tr you're trusting the church right now with your kids that are not in the same room with you, that are away with someone for an hour and a half that you might not really know, but you trust it. You're like, yeah, okay. Like, I know they have my best interests at heart. I know that they're doing the best that they can with my kids. They're trying to get them close to Jesus, right? They tr your trust, you trust your trust. You trust the church with your marriage. You trust the church with your, with your spiritual walk. And so then there comes a point where it seems a little confusing to me, where it's like, Pastor, yeah, we trust you with everything that's most important in our lives. Our relationship and faith with the Lord, my relationship with my spouse, my relationship with my kids. But listen, man, don't you be talking about money. That's, all, that's, that's like, that's out of bounds. Like, I don't know, like, kind of need, need to stay in your lane a little bit. There's this famous uh, cartoon illustration that I uh, have grown to love. I think it kind of exemplifies this point, right? Uh, right? We go to get baptized, right? Right? Lord, baptize me. I want to baptize me in the power of your Holy Spirit. I am dead to sin, but I am alive to faith in Jesus Christ. I unite myself with Jesus in his death and resurrection through baptism into eternal life, and I am ready to follow Jesus with all that I have. But hold on. I'm not baptizing my wallet. We're keeping, we're keeping our wallets, we're keeping our money, we're keeping our possessions. Uh, we're keeping that in the world. So that we can live with it according to the flesh. Everything else we're going to live according to the Spirit. Everything else, we're going we're to surrender everything else that we have to the Lord. Right? But don't start talking about my hard-earned money. I am a, I, I a red-blooded, independent, American working man or woman. I have earned all of this independent of anyone else, anytime, anywhere. This is mine. And I will do with it what I want. Be careful. Be careful. Because Jesus saw it much differently. So did most of the writers of the New Testament, as did uh, uh, many of the accounts that we have in the Old Testament. 
In fact, in, uh, we'll start in the Gospels with Jesus, as he uh, says in, uh, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, uh, open it up to Matthew chapter 6. This is a, uh, kind of a famous um, section of Scripture here, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says these things. We're going we're gonna to focus mainly on the last verses, but we'll, we'll read all of it here this morning because we're going to get back to these verses later in our series. Not today, but later, a couple weeks from now. Jesus uh, says here, Matthew 6, starting in verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal this is important for where your treasure is there your heart will be also the eye is the lamp of the body if your eyes are good your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, real important. This is where we're going to plant here for a minute. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Money. Anyone here have a translation that says mammon there? Brandon, a few of you. Okay. Uh, that, that is the, actually the, the better translation here. Um, no one can serve two masters, it says, Jesus says. Now the word that's used there for masters in the original language is a, work, or is a word called kyrios, which means lord. Right? It means one that sits above anything and anyone else. Supreme authority, the one whose, um, whose word and proclamations are to be um, uh, obeyed without question every single time, not because they rule with this strong sense of like hard authoritarian type leadership, but because by virtue of the nature and character of who they are, they are the only ones worthy to be obeyed. They're Lord of an area. They're, so when we say that, hey, Jesus is our Lord, we're not, Lord isn't like a last name of Jesus, right? It's a title. It's, a, it's, it's us recognizing and affirming and confessing our understanding of the place that Jesus holds in our life and in all creation. There is none like him. There is none besides him. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him, right? Every, at his name, every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that what? Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father in heaven. And so what Jesus says here when he uses this word Kyrios is that no one can have two different lords. 
You have one Lord, right? Because it, it, it's actually like a, um, it's a, it, it's impossible for us to be, to have two different Lords. You only end up ultimately serving one thing and one thing alone, right? And you can't serve one on one day and serve one on the other day and serve one on one day and serve one on the other day. You have, everyone has, an ultimate authority in their life. But the implication here of Jesus' words is that it's a human tendency to have competing lords. One, of course, is the Lord Almighty. You cannot serve both God, whom Jesus, we know whom Jesus was talking about there, right? One, of course, is the Lord Almighty. The other is something in the original text called mammon. What is mammon? Well, mammon is a, um, is a general term. It included both Money, currency. It also included uh, possessions. Uh, it also included uh, inheritance. But it, as even, but a, as an even more general term, it's anything that was depended upon or trusted in for a person's life and health. Anything that we trust on, anything that we depend upon. Anything that we lean against and being like, thank goodness I have this. Without this, I would not, could not, will never survive. Mammon is riches that serve in the place of dependence. It is things that we trust in so that we don't have to depend upon the other thing in the Jesus formula, right? I, you either serve God as Lord and depend upon Him and trust upon Him for all that you need, or you serve mammon, which is you have all of this abundance and you have all of this possession and you're trusting in it for everything that you need to survive and to live in life. Now, understanding what mammon is, riches that remove the need for dependence upon God, um, it should help us, uh, or it should tell us something, that we need to look at what the opposite of mammon is in order to even more fully understand it. Now, there's not a direct correlation with this in the Scripture, although the words sound very familiar. But, um, but if you recall, and if you don't know the story, I'm going to tell it a little bit this morning, but if you recall, back in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 16, the Israelites were lost in the desert outside of the Promised Land. And they were grumbling to Moses about the lack of food that they had. This is Exodus chapter 16, if you want to start flipping there. Yeah, we can all go there. We'll look at it here a little bit. Exodus is the second book in your Bible, if you're looking for it. So you go all the way to the front. Just go past Genesis. Genesis. 
and you'll be right in Exodus, Exodus chapter 16. Uh, put your finger at verse 11. I'm, I'll give you the, the kind of like the big details here. So the Israelites, after they had been freed from slavery in Egypt, were on a trek or were on the path towards the promised land, right? And God had promised to provide for all their needs, to increase their descendants, to bring them, uh, to bring them into a, a, a uh, piece of land that would be theirs. And he described it as a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of provision, a land of abundance, a land where they understood that God was taking care of their every need. Well, on the pathway to get there, right, they, they encountered a few hurdles, right? The biggest hurdle that the Israelites encountered on the way to the destination of the promise of God was their own sinful and stubborn hearts, right? And, and as, they were, as they were on the way to the place that God had promised to them, right, their own heart's rebellion against God was like a continued roadblock, 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 roadblock that we see all throughout the first um, couple chapters of our Bibles, right? Uh, but, but God, even in his graciousness to them, was like, okay, um, even in the midst of, even in the midst of your grumbling, even in the midst of your rebellion, even in the midst of your sin, right? Um, I'm still going to provide for you. I'm still going to make sure that you have everything that you need. And so as the Israelites were complaining to their leader, Moses, we have nothing to eat. We're starving out here in the desert. Why don't we go back to Egypt where there was plenty of food for us back there in slavery, right? It's an interesting thing about the condition of the human heart is that we always, when things get a little bit difficult and we're tempted to... Um, eliminate our trust in God, we always want to make our way back into the place of slavery. Because at least slavery was comfortable. At least it was predictable. At least we knew what was going to happen when we were in chains to our sin. Right? That's a whole other sermon. But the reality here is that the Lord was like, okay, I see that you are hungry. I see that you are grumbling. Here's what I'm going to do. I am going to provide food for you every single day. It's called manna, right? The word, um, the word manna was a daily provision for the needs of the people. And let's look at what happened here. We'll see, read a few verses. Exodus chapter 16, starting at verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And this is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, a container. Take a container for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much and some little. And then when they measured it by the omer, 
Those who gathered much did not have too much. Those who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered just exactly as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until the next morning. No, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. And so Moses was angry with them. What happened here, right? The Lord provided something for their needs, provided everything that they needed. Moses said, hey, look, don't collect more than you need for a for one for one day for one person in your home right just collect whatever one person needs forever that one day with the implication of what don't worry because tomorrow there's going to be it's going to be there again and and what you need for the day then you'll get then right what was the what was the tendency or the human heart condition that came out of it that that we see indicated here is that there were those who were like, man, I know, I see, I know he said not to collect more than we need today, but I mean, I think we should just get a little bit of extra, you know, we'll just, we'll make sure we squirrel away a little bit, a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more because you never know, you never know about tomorrow, right? And so when they woke up in the morning, the things that they had taken, right, extra to try and keep and preserve for themselves for the next day stunk and was full of maggots, right? That there, that there was no amount of preparation that they could take or that they could undergo that, um, that took place of or was more, provided them a place of greater abundance than just the raw obedience and dependence that God would supply the need on the very next day. And that every time, every time they tried to rely on themselves, opposed to being like, Lord, you have said it and I believe you, I will not gather more because I know you will provide for the next day. Every single time that they relied on themselves rather than relying on the word of God, everything that they had stored away for themselves rotted away to nothing. It rotted away to nothing. Because it displayed that their dependence was not on the God who gave them the gift that their dependence was on the gift itself. I trust in the gift. I'm not too sure that I can trust in the giver who said it would be here. Manna, in a manner of speaking, signified an absolute dependence on God when there was very little abundance of possession. So manna and mammon are the polar opposites of one another. Mammon is when I have an abundance of possession 
So my dependence on God is at the bottom of the barrel. What do I need God for? I have all this stuff. I don't need to rely on him to provide for my needs. I don't need to rely on him to take care of me. I don't need to rely on him day in and day out. I got all this. That's the heart of the Israel that said, we don't need to wait for God to provide manna for us tomorrow. We took some extra today. What happens to the abundance of possession when it's not surrendered to dependence upon God? It rots away. Gone. Manna is the opposite. Manna is when I have a barrel full of abundance and dependence on God because my possession is down here. So I'm standing firmly in a place of being totally dependent upon God with little possession, not dependent upon God at all, but with lots of possession. Now, we need to think carefully. We need to consider carefully about where you would like to be and what you would like to possess. Would you rather possess an abundance of dependence or an abundance of possession? One, fully trusting in something that will rot away or fully trusting in the one who owns it all. Here's the thing. Um, when we talk about money, what you're not going to hear me say, and what I hope you don't hear me say in any of this, I, and I'll be able to talk about it a little bit more in an upcoming message, is that there is anything... Uh, that there is anything wrong with being wealthy. You're not going to hear me say that. You're not going to hear me say that there is anything wrong with being blessed financially, having a really nice house, having a retirement account, right? You're not going to hear me say any of those things because I don't believe them to be true. Because I'm going to go back to one of the original statements is that God is really not about, it's really not about money at all. Right? This is about our heart. And what, is, what, are the, what are the things that are connected to our hearts right? that end up moving us like, like, uh, like a marionette throughout life? Money uh, is not really, at least in my determination, not really about money at all. Money is about trust. Money is about dependence. Where do you place the trust for your actual living and provision in the world? In your possessions or in the one who created you? Well, pastor, in this economic times, uh, that's a pretty simplistic view of what it takes to survive. Um, I would say that it's a biblical view of what it takes to survive. Um, 
And the statement that in these uncertain economic times is a uh, worldly view that we've been, um, that we've been force-fed and chosen to believe because our faith in the Lord is small. Because we have, we have small faith that God actually works um, day in, day out, moment in, moment out to provide the actual needs that we have in life. Because we have continually, why does talking about money make us so uncomfortable? Because we have continually divorced the provision from our life away from being super spiritual, right? Well, provision and like taking care of my family and making sure we have enough, that's not a spiritual issue at all. It's got nothing to do with God. I have what I have because I work hard. Okay. Who gives your body the strength and endurance needed to do hard work? Well, I do. I mean, I get eight hours of sleep. I exercise. I eat, eat well. I eat healthy. Um, I, am, uh, I, I make sure that I'm physically capable to work every time that, I, that I'm able to. Okay, your, your body may be strong for work, but who puts the breath in your lungs to keep your, strong, your body strong? Well, watch. I'm breathing all on my own. Okay, who created the oxygen? Well, the, the, the trees and the plants. They created the oxygen that I need to go, you know, okay, who created the plants and the trees? And on and on and on and on and on and on and on. We see where this goes. It's a circular quest to discover. Listen, this is really important, right? It's a circular quest to discover and proclaim our absolute independence from God. I don't have to depend upon God for my daily needs because I can work hard. That's the rationale, right? I'm, I'm a hardworking person. I have a good job. I've got a great education. I've always worked hard. I know, I know how to get up in the morning and work hard, and I'm glad because the Lord wants people to work hard, right? The kingdom needs people to work hard. It is, I, I think hard work is a, is a kingdom characteristic that every Christian should have about their life. They should be the hardest working people in your particular positions. But let's, but let's be honest about something. Working hard is not the same thing as depending upon God. Proclaiming that I work hard, therefore that's how all of my life is provided for, is just a circular quest to, to proclaim our absolute independence from a God who has given us all things. Because the reality is, is that without dependence and trust in God, we have nothing. We produce nothing. We are nothing outside of His consistent, sustaining grace. The book of Acts chapter 17 verse 28 says it is, it is in Him that we live, that we move, and that we have our being.
What happens when we display to God that our heart and our life is oriented towards trusting in Him rather than trusting in our money or in our possessions? What happens when the Lord sees, oh, okay, the heart is pointed towards me. Their desire is to, their desire is to serve me. Their desire is to serve my kingdom. Their desire is to invest in things that do not, um, that do not rust away. Luke chapter 16. Verses 10, starting at verse 10. Jesus says these words. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be, with, also be dishonest with much. So if you, not, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property your own? Verse 13, we hear a familiar verse. No one can serve two masters. Either they will hate one and love the other, or they will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. The Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. What happens when we orient our hearts towards the dependence of the Lord and serving the Lord no matter the amount of the possessions that we have is that those who are faithful with little are entrusted with more. This is not, and this is not a prosperity gospel, right? Just have enough faith, just believe enough, right? Just proclaim that you are going to be wealthy and God will give you an abundance of possessions. No, um, this is, a, this is a, a direct result of, of, of God being like, I see those who are faithful in their poverty, they can be entrusted with more. I see those who have, been, who have been faithful with little, they will be entrusted with more. Some of us want more when we cannot gather around the self-control to be obedient with the little that we have. Consistently feeling like, well, why isn't the Lord blessing? And why isn't the Lord blessing? And why isn't the Lord blessing? And why isn't the Lord blessing? Because the Lord is not a fool. Because the Lord is not a fool. And when he sees an improper, disobedient, unsurrendered heart with the little, he knows he will see an improper, unsurrendered, disobedient heart with the abundance. 
This is a principle that we're going to talk about next week. We've heard, I've heard more than enough times um, in ministries. Well, when, when, when I get a better job, when I, um, when I make more money, when I have more, when I am more, when I accomplish more, when I do more, then I'm really going to like up my game with a heart of generosity, a heart of sacrificial giving, a heart of surrendering my things to the Lord. I just got to get to this point fin- financially or with my life where it makes sense and then I'm, then I'm all in. Then I'm all in. No, you're not. No, you're not. Because it's not a possession or an amount or a money issue. It's a heart issue. It's an issue of an unsurrendered countenance towards the things that you have that you feel like you have produced on your own, failing to recognize that you are 150% dependent upon God for everything that you have, but holding on to it as if it's all from your own hard work and all belongs to you. And so why would you give any of it back to the Lord at all? An unsurrendered heart with a lack of possession is going to be an unsurrendered heart in an abundance of possession. It's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking, I said, like a, um, on these things again, more on these things. Um, a few questions, two brief questions for reflection that we're going to celebrate communion together. Where am I placing my trust and dependence? In mammon or manna? Do I have an abundance of possession with very little trust? Or do I have an abundance of trust even, even if I have an abundance of possession? It's a trust and dependence issue, a heart issue, not a money issue. Am I faithfully treating what God has already entrusted to me in preparation for what he may give me next? Am I faithfully treating what God has already given to me in preparation for what he may give me next? Ask the Lord about those questions this week for yourself. Pray that the Lord would begin to reveal the nature and condition of your heart in relationship to the possession of your life, the possessions of your life, so that he may reveal and shine the light of Jesus Christ on any places that, are, that have been unsurrendered to him, that, ha- that we've been white-knuckle holding on to because, of, because, we th- because we think that they're ours and we can't let them go. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything that we need for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I pray that your hearts would take hold of the life 
that is truly life. In Jesus' name, amen.